Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. We continue our series today on the theme of our recently released Beeson magazine, Persevering in Ministry Through Challenging Times. We hope the show will whet your appetite for the magazine itself. And if it does, you can find it at BeesonDivinity.com slash Beeson Magazine. Before we introduce today's guest, let me say how grateful we are to each and every one of you for listening every week and supporting the Beeson community through prayer, recommendations, financial contributions, and by joining us on campus for chapel and special events. The Lord's work will continue here with the help and support of people just like you. Also, let me remind you that we have lots of events happening every week at Beeson. If you want to learn about them, go to beesondivinity.com slash events, and you can watch recordings of events after the fact on our YouTube page. Go to beesondivinity.com slash videos. All right, Kristen, without any further ado, would you please introduce our esteemed guest? Yes, thank you, Doug. Hello, everyone. We have Dr. Mark Janellette on the show today. He is Professor of Divinity here at Beeson Divinity School, where he teaches Old Testament and Hebrew. He is also canon theologian at the Cathedral Church of the Advent in downtown Birmingham. Mark is married to Naomi, and they have four children. And Mark has been a guest on the show a number of times, so I hope you will go back to the Beeson Podcast archive and search his name and listen to those past episodes. Um, but Dr. Janelette, we are glad that you are with us again today. Thanks. Very glad to be here. Uh, well, as Doug has already mentioned, we want to talk to you about the article you gave for the Beeson magazine, and your article is called A Prophetically Shaped Ministry. In it, you examine the ministry of several Old Testament prophets. So what are you seeking to communicate through your article, and who are the prophets that you examine? Well, uh, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to contribute to the magazine. That was a blessing to kind of think through some of the dynamics of play. You know, I threw some spaghetti against the wall, you know, with the prophets just sort of picking and choosing um, various figures and thinking through, you know, what kind of encouragement would pastors today who are in the midst of so many challenges? I mean, we feel this acutely right now. You know, how, how might the prophets encourage them? And the truth is, I'm not sure how encouraging they could be in the sense of the kind of encouragement people might be after. I mean, if they're, if they're looking, if they're, if they're, if they're looking for the encouragement of a certain kind of affirmation or a, you know, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, that that's unfortunately not where the prophets are going to be able to meet them. But I think that prophets can meet them in the solidarity of the burden and the freedom and the joy that comes with bearing God's word. Um, so I, you know, at the beginning of the article kind of picked through some of these prophets in their and their tendency to be reluctant at, at their calling. I mean, that's, and I think that's something that might be somewhat surprising is, you know, think about Moses or Jeremiah, and we'll get back to him as, as we go on, or Isaiah or uh, uh, Micah. I mean, these prophets were reluctant to take on the mantle that God had given them um, because I think they knew that the, the enormity of the task was more than they were capable of. And there was a burden and the burden itself 
was more often than, than not the, the word of God that they had to bear. So that's that was kind of what was the driving thesis and and just you know interest for this piece in in, ter- in terms of pastors today who are you know feeling feeling the burden frankly of a lot of cultural and societal pressures and of course we were in the middle of this pandemic and there, there's just a there's a lot of difficulty that that is on us right now and the prophets I think drive us in an almost a tyrannical way back to the truth of the character of God and his being and his way with his people that's that's what I find to be the encouraging part of the prophets is they are they are thrusting us almost violently one might say back to the lord mm, that's a great segue mark to the question i wanted to ask you that yeah had to do with the, the audience that we have in mind uh with respect to beeson magazine of course we want everybody to read it but we have alumni pastors uh, ministry leaders in mind and i'm wondering if you could uh, offer a word based on the work you did for the article what it is that the Old Testament prophets have to say to us today, maybe particularly in the United States, those of us involved in ministry here, locally and regionally, about what it takes to persevere in ministry through difficult times. Yeah, and that's a great term, you know, perseverance. I mean, that the the burden, um, one might even call it, I guess I, I heard a preacher one time describe Jeremiah's call as a, as a royal pain. Um, you know, I think that the burden, the ministry of God's word, <clears throat> is such that demands and elicits from us a cry for perseverance. That I, I think the term that you use, Doug, is very important here. Um, it's it's the long view, and you know I it's I feel less and less capable, especially given the complexity of our moment, to be able to make quick assessments, cultural assessments. I'm, I, I just think it's beyond my pay grade more often than not. But I do think we want quick fixes. I think there there is something within me I know, and I'm sure with many of our listeners as well. We we want things to be fixed quickly. We want easy answers. We want actionable plans that will yield uh, predictable results. And unfortunately, life and ministry don't operate according to those principles. I just started a class today with uh, several students. I'm very excited about this class actually on the Psalms in their uh, reception and practice. And you know, one of the, the late motifs of the Psalms as you kind of move through them from beginning to end is waiting on the Lord. And that's, it's a fascinating turn of phrase, the more than I've not even begun to sort of penetrate into it, but the more I think about this, um, it's waiting on the Lord. And I think a kind of American sensibility, and I, I use that term loosely, but a Western sensibility would be we're, we're waiting for our circumstances to get alleviated. Um, we're waiting for something to be past us. I, I, when, when my child gets sick and I'm angsty about that again, I want it past. Um, when we have, you know, some, a pandemic that comes into our world, I want it past. I, I want that to be a memory that we can give thanks to the Lord for, but that's over. We want it over quickly. And the, the language of the prophets, the language of the Psalter is in those waiting moments, we're not waiting for the circumstance itself to be alleviated. We're waiting on the Lord. This is an opportunity for us to be driven again back to the Lord, his truth, his comfort, his beauty, his glory, his otherness, um, so that we know in these moments that are really acute um, where our ultimate destiny is. I mean, that, that to me is what the prophets force us to, is to think through, and it will be in the latter days, right? Um, so I think that's that's something about, you know, an encouragement 
to preachers here who we, we know we're not we're not after the quick fixes because quick fixes and I think you all can empathize with this they, they don't help people in the cemetery and they don't help prepare people to go to the cemetery well um, it's the long view it's the view of God's being to take that which is dead and to make it alive again that's what gives us hope in a world that seems to be desperately looking for something to alleviate our our angst, our anxiety uh, quickly. Dr. Janela, you mentioned Jeremiah a couple of times already, and you actually spent a lot of time on him in your article. So can you tell for us, um, to tell our listeners, who was Jeremiah and what can we learn from him, especially minister, ministers of the gospel as it relates to ministry? Yeah, you know, Jeremiah um, is a prophet that in some ways stands out because we're you know, we're given a little bit more of a biographical entry into his life in, in ways that the prophets often tend not to do. Like, who, who was Isaiah the man? Oh, you know, good luck finding that out. I mean, that's actually kind of hard to do. Who was Micah the man? Well, I don't, you know, we, we get him in a prophetically shaped way. But as far as like knowing the persona of the man, it's, you know, the, the scriptures aren't often interested in giving us those kind of biographical or or psychological details. But with Jeremiah, I mean, we get a lot of the of the personality of the prophet comes through the the, the prophetic book. Um, he was a priest from the region of Anatote. And I think I, I say this in the article, but you know, Anatote's small town. I mean, we're talking like, you know, I, I, I grew up, uh, I lived for several years in the Carolinas and my wife and I, when we were first married, we'd drive up into the mountains to get boiled peanuts, you know, off the side of the highway with RC colas and a, and a, and a moon pie, you know. So, I mean, Anatote's that kind of town. It's a small, out-of-the-way town. Um, and Jeremiah's called from the backwaters, one might say, to be a prophet for the nations. Think about that, for the nations um, in Jerusalem. So he's called to, called to speak to the political and the religious elites in a cataclysmic time. One, one might even say it's the most cataclysmic moment of, Israel, of Judah's ancient history. Um, so he's, he's walking right into the ruins of Judah on the precipice of its exile before um, the Babylonian onslaught. And so he's called to minister in the middle of that. And his word is a hard one. I mean, that's what that's the challenge. His word is the discernment of this moment in time is that God's judgment is upon his people. And, and his judgment is coming to his people via Nebuchadnezzar and his marauding hordes. And the best thing that we can do as God's people now is to yield to God's judgment. And you can imagine that was not a popular message. Um, and so Jeremiah, under several different uh, political rulers, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, um, Zedekiah, Gedaliah, the, the governor d during the exile, he, he ministered under a lot of different rulers and was rarely received well, um, threatened with death, imprisoned. But I think what's so fascinating about Jeremiah is he is a prophet of great hope in the midst of the ruin. And he's also a prophet who has to, and I think this is so crucial for ministers, he's a prophet that has to enter into solidarity with the judgment of God's word that he's bringing. I mean, think about that. He, you know, he, he doesn't come into town and give his sort of word and like, you know, a traveling evangelist and drop a few bombs and then head on to the next town. He brings the word. It's a word of judgment. And Jeremiah has to live in solidarity with God's people under the judgment of his own word. It's kind of remarkable. And in that sense, that's properly anticipating the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brings God's word of judgment as well. 
and allows that judgment to fall on himself. So he he as well enters into the solidarity of his own, own judging word. So that's Jeremiah. It's a complicated figure and very hard to sort through the book. I mean, the book is not presented to us in a nice, you know, sort of neat linear way. You are bumping around times from pre-exile to exile, and it's it's a, it's a bit of a jumpy ride. But it's a beautiful book that presents to us, I think, the hardness of God's word, its ability to judge and overturn, and its ability to recreate and restore as well. And that's that's part of the beauty of Jeremiah's prophetic legacy. One of the fun things, Professor Genelette, about this podcast for some of our listeners is that it gives them a peek inside the hallowed walls of Divinity Hall. You know, it gives them an inside look at what seminary life is like. And if I were somebody on the outside looking in and I was listening to this interview with an Old Testament prophet, Beeson, who'd written an article on the prophets. One thing I'd want to know is, so what does this guy do in the classroom with these pastors-to-be? What does he teach them about the bearing of what they're reading about in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, what they're reading about as they examine the lives of the prophets? What's the bearing of all that on the way pastors should think about their own roles as pastors in the present. Can you give them a little peek? What do you do in the classroom with students? What, what do you want the students of Beeson Divinity School to know and to do based on your teaching of the prophets? Well, I yell at them a lot. I guess it's one of the things that we do in class. There's a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling. I'm, I'm yeah, you know, I, I, that, that's a great question. I mean, our, you know, our classes here are such so elongated in the sense of a semester that it's very hard to communicate the texture of that to someone that's not been in it. You know, I just started this Psalms class today. I handed them out a quote from Athanasius to Marcellinus on reading the Psalms. And I said, I just, you know, let's, I want you to read this quote here and let's read and compare and contrast this with someone like Herman Gunkel that would want to read the Psalms within their religious historical particularity in the ancient Near East and fix them back there in the historical particularity where, they, where they're properly left. Because Athanasius is going to want us to read the Psalms in such a way as these are words from God to us on our lips right now. Um, that's a, that We might call that a Christian hermeneutical instinct to read in, in Athanasius's way. And so when it comes to the prophets, I think it's very similar. You know, I want I want the prophets to be an entry point for the students to enter into, I mean, I hate that this is an overly used phrase, but to enter into that strange new world of the Bible, you know, that we, that Karl Barth talked about, you know, a new world, a world that challenges our own basic instincts and presuppositions, that forces us to think about a God-centered universe that takes humanity in view, doesn't displace humanity, but views human need within that God-shaped universe a kind of robust, and I'm using this term very loosely, but a robust metaphysic about God's being and the way in which that shapes our whole view of the world, that's the otherness that I think the prophets allow our students. And one of the things that's funny, we just talked about this in class today, one of the things that I encourage my students is the prophets, and I think obviously the Apostle Paul fits right in line with this, they're going to challenge us when it comes to our ministries to think in these terms. Are my words in service of the word or is the word in service of my words? And I think a prophetically shaped ministry is constantly forcing us to think about our words are in service to the word. That's one of the fascinating features, especially from a Christian reading of the prophets, that the word of God in the prophets actually has an agency to it. Think about the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord was to Jonah. 
there's this sending agency, the father sends his word, which is his very being and yet distinct to his people as an agent. I mean, that that's so Christologically rich to think about the word of God itself coming to us. And I think that's what I'm hoping students in the classroom get a sense of this. And I just told them today, lifelong journey of entering into the reality of God's word present and manifest in Jesus in our churches. That's, that's what people, I'm in, I'm a Christian. I'm in desperate need of that. And I know many people are today. We don't need pablum anymore. I mean, we've had enough of that and we need the life-giving word of Jesus and the prophets force us to that again and again. I'd love to get you to talk more about teaching and preaching. As I mentioned, uh, you are a canon theologian at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. Um, You teach regularly, um, you preach, um, and you're also in conversation with a lot of our alumni who are in pastoral ministry. So what have been some of the challenges that you've seen on the ground um, as it relates to preaching and teaching during such a time as a pandemic and a number of other challenges and what word of encouragement um, uh, do you share with alumni? Would you share with our listeners today as it relates to the ministry of teaching and preaching um, during challenging times? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd have to kind of think more about the content of some of these conversations. Um, and again, I'm, I'm slower to make these sort of broad sweeping analysis of, of our, you know, it's just easier to see things in retrospect than in prospect. But I do think a faithful attendance to the preaching and teaching of God's word, even in a moment where it might feel like we need to do something better. In other words, like this is, this is crisis time. Um, this, this is go time now. I mean, people are suffering. People are burying their loved ones in, in, in ways that we didn't expect to happen in the sort of normal warp and woof of life. So now we need to do something better. I mean, I think that that might be part of the challenge that a call to us to a steady faithfulness before the instruments that God has promised, made gospel promises to his people, namely word and sacrament, prayer, I mean, community, common life together. So I think, you know, the, the ways in which liturgy and worship and preaching continue to shape us are very important. And I think, and guys, I've not really thought about it this way, but you know, once you're in the deep end of the pool, it's it's and you're and you're and you're flailing, it's hard at that point in time to begin to be shaped and formed. You know, now it's survival time. I think maybe this is I would encourage all of us and pastors and parishioners, I mean, we, we want to be shaped and formed by liturgy, by life together, by word and sacrament now for those deep end moments. The, the habituation of that, that shapes the way in which we are now prepared to, you know, move into those moments. I mean, I, I mean, I, of course, I'm in a liturgical setting that's a little bit more formalized than maybe some of our listeners, but I've been surprised at how quickly the words of the liturgy come to me in, in these challenging moments. Lord, open our lips and let our mouths show forth thy praise. You know, and the list can go on and on. So I, I, I think that sort of steady faithfulness to being formed and shaped in the habits of the faith are, are important, especially when there might be a kind of impulse to do something that's better. Because there's, there's, I, don't, I don't know if there is anything that's better. There's not. If you don't mind, Mark, I'd love to conclude our interview with you with a couple of more personal questions. Our listeners know we always end these interviews by asking our guests what the Lord's been teaching them recently. But before we get to that question, I've got a related question for you. 
uh, that I would want to know if I wasn't already your friend with a pretty good guess as to how you'll answer this. I know you and Naomi have gone through rough patches in your own lives. You know what it's like to try to find a way forward, to try to be resilient uh, through really difficult times. And I wonder, as an Old Testament professor, as an Old Testament scholar who spent a lot of time with the prophets, what difference have they made in your own life? Have you yourself, has, has Professor Mark Ginolet learned some things that have helped you in your relationship with God and your life and your ministry by studying the prophets? Yeah. Gosh, it's very personal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say in our own family <clears throat> and in my own life, especially over the past year and really over the past couple of weeks in an acute way, you just have to have these hard questions and conversations with the Lord about whether or not, um, gosh, careful how I say this, whether or not I really believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's everything. You know, if I don't have that, Paul says, then we're of all people most miserable. And I think about this in relationship to, to my kids and my wife and, you know, what, what are my hopes for them? And I, I want my kids to succeed by all the kind of standards that most parents would want them to succeed by. But I would say, you know, over these past few weeks, I've, I've just become acutely aware, like, are my, are my kids being shaped as pilgrims for another time in another place? How do I do that? How, how, does, how do I model that for them? Are, they, are their affections being raised for the Lord? Are mine? In other words, I teach for a living. I pay the bills by doing this stuff. And I love it. I mean, I think I'm, I feel so blessed. But are my affections linked to it? Not, not in a sort of maudlin, sentimental way, but in a way that's deeply rooted in the affairs of the heart and the mind. Those are, those are acute questions that I think, that I wish I could say, you know, the circumstances of our family or whatever have, have let us now settle this. You know, the Genelet family just settled this now and we're resolved, you know, like an Edwards resolution or something. But I know I'll have to wrestle with it again in a month or so. And it's just part of the, the dynamic of being a pilgrim is having to wrestle with that tension between being indigenous in a place, I'm located here, and I'm also not a full citizen here. I'm a citizen of another place. The prophets didn't have a choice but live in those terms. That that's the way in which God, by his calling on them, demanded that they live in the in that particular dynamic. And so yeah, I would say I'm feeling and thinking and about those things acutely. I need the I need the Lord, you know, I think we all do to to raise our affections again to another place in another time. Because how sad if we put all of our hopes and energies into things of this world that we know will pass away. I mean, think about like Psalm 103, right? You know, um, the place remembers their name no more. (laughs) Everything, you know, by a humbling turn of phrase. You come, you go, a generation comes and goes, and they don't remember your name anymore. I mean, there you go. Um, So I think that's, that's what maybe our moment, if there's a silver lining in our pandemic moment, I think the silver lining is uh, being drawn into truth of our heavenly hopes. Well, Mark, as uh, Doug has already mentioned, we always like to end the show by asking our guests what the Lord has been teaching you these days that would encourage our listeners. And you've already shared with us so many encouraging words from God's word and your own life. But is there anything else in particular that 
um, man, the Lord's just been teaching me this and uh, that you would feel compelled to share with us as we end the show today. Do you mind if I just read a little bit of a psalm? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Psalms have been, they've been a refuge. It's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the psalms almost become like a place. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're a place in which you reside. And here's, here's one that's been special in, in the Genelette house. And can I just leave this with you? And then that, that'll be it. Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship is of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenants. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me. I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart, they're enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction, my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul, deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God for his holy and life-giving word. Amen. You have been listening to Professor Mark Ginolette one of uh, our students' favorite teachers here at Beast Divinity School. Dr. Genelette teaches Old Testament, teaches the Hebrew language. He serves as the canon theologian at the Cathedral Church of the Advent here in Birmingham. Uh, He's a beloved member of our community and a dear friend. Thanks for being with us, Mark, and thanks for tuning in. Listeners, hang in there. We love you. Goodbye for now. been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.